0: chapter 1, and when you get it, say got it. Ooh, that was fast. Ephesians chapter 1. We are in a series called Kingdom Kids, going through the book of Ephesians. Getting toward the end of Ephesians 1. If you got it, say got it. Good. Ephesians 1. Our passage today is verses 20 and 21. It says that he, that is God, exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Church, this is God's word for us today. The power, uh, title of the sermon is Power to the King. Let's pray. Thanks for your word, Lord. Thank you that it is a light to our path, it's a lamp, unto our feet. We're thankful that you lead us by your word. You um, instruct us by your word. Thank you that you've preserved your word over thousands and thousands of years. And today it's living and it's active and that today you're able to divide it up into hundreds of different pieces and speak it into each one of our lives as you see fit. I submit myself to you, my thoughts to you, my prep with my notes here to you. ask that you'd move through me. We want to hear from you, God. We don't want to hear from Dominic. We want to hear from you, Lord. So we ask that you'd speak to us. Our ears are open. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our previous verses, if you've followed along, um, Paul was praying that the eyes of the hearts of Christians would be flooded with light in order that they might see three things. What is the hope of our calling? The fact that we are a glorious inheritance to God, which is so crazy. And our verse last week, that we have immeasurably great power. That we have immeasurably great power. And then he further expounds on this power in our verse today when he says that God exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead. Which is the ultimate demonstration of power, right? I love what F.F. Bruce says, If the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of God's love, then the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of his power. Because you can't get any worse off than dead. Somebody say amen. You can't get any worse off than dead. To overcome a disease, that's one thing, and that's incredible. To overcome something like depression, it might seem impossible, and that's that's a massive feat. To overcome tragedy and suffering, the hardest work I've ever done in my life. But to overcome death, death is the culmination and climax of all sin. And though we may feel sometimes like, dude, I'd be better off dead, it's not true. Death is as low as it gets, and Jesus dug down to the depths of the depravity of man and not only conquered sin, but he even conquered the aftermath and consequence of sin, which is death. And if he conquered death, then he has conquered all. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't rise in order to die again. Like when Lazarus rose, he, he went and died again. His bones are somewhere in Israel right now. Jesus is risen and risen forever, and Jesus is victorious over death, and Jesus is victorious after death. And Christ being risen puts on display, he's saying here, the power of God. And this is the same power that Paul prayed for Christians to remember that we had in the previous verse. This is the same power that is in us, resurrection power. In Romans 8, Paul writes, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Speaking of the physical resurrection from the dead for those who believe. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you, my brother. Gosh. Extra crowns in heaven, I think. (laughs) Or jewels in your crown or something. And this is our ultimate hope, right? The resurrection from the dead. That is the ultimate display of God's power in and through our lives. But here in Ephesians, Paul is reminding us that resurrection power isn't just for then. It's also for right now. This is not just resurrection power to raise us up from the corruption of death. This is also resurrection power to raise us up from the struggles of life. And the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead means that everything else is no big deal for him. He has risen, he has conquered, and he has, it says in our verse today, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Let's read it again. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. When the Bible talks about the right hand, it's, it's a cultural thing. And it speaks of four things, really. The right hand is, first of all, a place of companionship. It's like it's an intimacy thing. It is a relationship thing. Secondly, the right hand is a place of honor. It is a place of respect and esteem. It's the father saying to the son, you're my son, and I'm honoring you as such. Third, it is a place of confidence. There is a sense of assurance from the father to the son. There's a sense of trust here and confidence. And lastly, the right hand is a place of authority. In Hebrew culture, it was looked down upon to be left-handed. And so if, if a kid was left-handed and when they were you know, two years old or so, it started showing signs of favoring their left hand, a lot of times parents would even break the hand of the child in order for them to learn how to use their right hand so that they could be culturally acceptable. And so the right hand became this symbol of, of strength and power. And at the right hand of God is a place of His strength and His power. And that is where Jesus is seated. David wrote, The Lord says to my Lord, so the Father says to the Son, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The right hand is a place of authority, and the authority has been given to Jesus. And authority always speaks of relationship to something else, right? If somebody has authority, that means somebody else does not. Right? So for me, being a, a, a dad, I have authority. That means that my kids, all of them, have no authority. So that means that when my 5-year-old thinks that he should eat frozen yogurt every night for dinner instead of a normal meal, he, he doesn't have the authority to make the decision. When my 14-year-old thinks that she should stay out till midnight with her one other cute little girlfriend at the collection with no parents, she doesn't get to do it because she doesn't have the authority. Right? I'm not trying to be a dictator, but me having the authority means that my kids don't. Right? If somebody has the authority, that means that somebody else does not have the authority. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, the place of all authority. And Jesus having all authority means that everybody and everything else does not have the authority. All things are subject to him, even the most powerful things in the universe. Paul speaks of them here. And seating him at his right hand in the heavens, here it is far above every ruler. And authority, power, and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Christ is seated in the heavens above, but tell me how, how far above? How far, how, how, I'm sorry, how much above? He's far above, right? I just answered my own question. He is far above. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above, and he's far above what? It says, every ruler. And authority, power, and dominion, and every title given. So here we go. We're going to break this down together, right? Because Paul, Paul lists a list here for a reason. Let's break it down together. We're going to come back to ruler in a minute. But first, let's look at this. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above authorities, dominions, and powers. First of all, powers. The word power speci- speaks specifically to sur- supernatural power. Jesus is above uh, every supernatural power, far above rather, every supernatural power, every supernatural force that is godly or demonic. And he is far above, it says, authority and every authority and dominion. Now, these are the same words in the Greek in the original language that's used a few chapters later in Ephesians 6 when Paul says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers, spiritual forces of wickedness in the high and low places. Those words, principalities, powers, spiritual forces of wickedness are the same words here, authorities and dominions and power. Paul is talking about demons. Church, did you know that... um, there's a spiritual battle happening right now in a spiritual realm that we can't see and that we are the objects of its results satan and his courts are real and they hate us they hate our faith they hate our jesus they hate our children. They hate our marriages. They hate our gifts and our callings. They hate the ministry that we that we do. And if you want Paul's prayer for the previous verse to be active in your life, then you need to wake up to the reality that there is a demonic battle raging for your soul, for your marriage, for your church, and I'm mean, sorry, for your children and your church and your life. And Paul tells us explicitly in Ephesians chapter six that the battle that we think is against people or against human situations is not actually so. It is actually against principalities and powers. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The word heavens or heavenly places doesn't mean heaven necessarily. It means the unseen spiritual places. There is a battle happening in a spiritual realm, but it affects The physical realm. And this is not a battle between Jesus and demons. This is a battle between angels and demons. And this is a battle, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, that is also between us and demons. And I know it's weird. It's weird to think about that stuff. Like, we don't think about—we like to think about what we can see, right? But this is what the Bible says, and we need to open our eyes to what's happening in the unseen. And just like God allows the effects of sin to be present in the world— Until Jesus returns, God also allows the effects of sin to be present in the spiritual realm until Jesus returns. And so there are spiritual powers and dominions, and there are what it says here, authorities. Which means those with delegated power, which is what the word authority means. Those with delegated power. So just like God has delegated power to people... Before he created humanity, he delegated power to angels, right? When we think about angels and they go out and they do stuff on God's behalf, it's because God has delegated power to them. And that's what this is talking about. When God created angels, he delegated a certain level of authority to them as ministers of his, just like he delegated a certain level of authority to Adam and Eve in the garden. And just like humanity had a choice to use their authority for good or for evil, so did the angels. And Lucifer which is the the name given by God to Satan, Lucifer was an angel with high position and high authority. And he chose to use that authority to try to rise up above God. And in turn, he along with the other rebellious angels were cast out of the presence of God. These are fallen angels. These are what the Bible would call demons and what Paul calls in Ephesians 6 spiritual forces of wickedness. And demons are no longer ministers of God, they are ministers of wickedness. And when demons fell, their delegated authority remained intact. Unfortunately, God did not take away their, the authority He had already given them as angels when they fell. 1 Corinthians 4 tells us that Satan is the God, little g, little g, God of this world. In other words, He has some allowed delegated authority in the world. That's why, man, when we see stuff like all this stuff that's happening with with abortion in the world right now, and I don't know if you just heard what happened in the last couple of weeks, but allowing babies who are born now because of a failed abortion to be killed after they're born if they were intended to be aborted in the first place. That's demonic. That's because the God of this world has been given some delegated authority until Jesus comes back. John 12 says that he is a ruler of the world. Ephesians 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. God gave angels some authority in the beginning, and the authority was intended to be used for the glory and purpose of God. But when the demons fell, they have now used that same authority against the glory and purposes of God. And to, like Jesus said, steal, to kill, and to destroy The Bible is clear that Satan does not have all power, but he does have some. And he will use every bit of it to work against God's plan and God's people. And this is who we war against. And this is who Paul is talking about here when he says, Every dominion, power, and authority. Dominion refers to what it sounds like, the the dominion specifically actually talking though of, of celestial beings. But it's talking about jurisdiction of celestial beings. Dominion as in a king's jurisdiction or a ruler's jurisdiction or dominion over a certain region. Which is exactly what the Bible shows us when talking about demons. Illustrated in Daniel chapter 10. You remember in Daniel chapter 10? When Daniel begins praying. And then he keeps praying. And God does not show up. God doesn't come and speak to him. God sends no messenger to speak to him, and he keeps praying. And then 21 days later after praying and fasting, finally this angel shows up, this messenger of God. And he says, Daniel, the moment you prayed, I was immediately dispatched. Which is so gnarly that God loves us that much that he listens. And then like, he's like, hey, you, you see so-and-so praying, Go. He says, I was immediately dispatched, but on my way to you, I was detained by who he calls the Prince of Persia. And I was there fighting with him until God had to send stinking Michael, the archangel, big old baddical dude, to come and war on my behalf so that I could get free to come bring the message to you that you prayed for 21 days ago. And he talks about this prince of the, uh, the, the Prince of Persia. Persia a place right a geographical location like there was this demonic force there was a demon demons maybe who like were had authority and were delegated dominion over that place scripture teaches us that some demons and we would assume some angels have dominions they are territorial, and they have territories, and we would be foolish to think that this is not the case in our communities, guys. This isn't just like in the Middle East, in Jesus' times. This is the spiritual realm. We'd be foolish to think this isn't happening in our communities. We need to wake up to the fact that there are spiritual demonic forces who have been wreaking havoc on Ventura County for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. Satan does not have all power, but he does have some However, do not—you're waiting for the however, huh? You're like, somebody, please give me good news. However, do not get this wrong, church. He has some power. He does not have all power, and he does not have free reign. We see in Job chapter 1 that Satan had to ask God for permission To bring stuff against Job in order to test it. And God gave him certain permission and limited how much he could do to Job. In Luke 22, Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked that he can sift you like wheat. In uh, Mark chapter 5, the demons inside the tormented man who's living in the caves asked, actually begged Jesus to not send them into the abyss, but for permission to go into the pigs. And Jesus permitted them to do so. You are a child of God, and everything that comes at you must pass through the sovereign hands of God before it gets to you. The devil has some power, but he does not have all power. This is not a battle of good God against evil God, and then we'll see how it pans out in the end. There is only one God, and we have to remember that Satan is a created being with limited access and limited authority. Now, he's been around a lot longer than you, which means that he's a lot craftier than you, which means that he is smarter than you, but he is still a created being. There are four spiritual forces of wickedness that we can't see right now. Princes in Ventura, so to speak, spiritual authorities in the coastlands, and they may think that they are the kings of the coastlands, like it says in the Psalms, but they are not the kings. There is only one king. Somebody say his name, please. Good God. Somebody say his name like you mean it. Okay, that's the only king. His name is? We are living in a kingdom. We are kingdom kids in a kingdom. But in this kingdom, there is not a fight for the throne of the king. This isn't Game of Thrones. Okay, this is the kingdom of God. And of this kingdom and of this rule, there shall be no end. There's a battle for influence in your life. There's a battle for uh, your allegiance in your life. There's a battle for your attention, but there is, nor has there ever been, a battle for the throne. Yes, there is a battle for the lives of Christians. And if we don't fight with spiritual weapons, we can get beat down, beat up, and even temporarily taken captive in this battle but there was not and has not and will not ever be a battle for the throne of God and the kingdom of God. Jesus is on the throne and has already won the battle. The victory is already his. If you believe it, somebody say amen. Okay. If you're a kingdom kid, that means then that the victory of the king is also yours. We're not going to get into it yet, but Ephesians 2 will tell us that now you are seated with Jesus. Jesus where he is far above all authorities and dominions and names and rulers. Now, you may not feel like it right now. You may feel like you're in the middle, and you may be in the middle of a battle, and you're not sure if it's even possible for you to win. But that's not because Jesus isn't victorious. That's something else. See, sometimes it can appear that the enemy has more power in our lives than he actually does. We saw this last week um, during our second gathering when... A a woman came to get prayer from the prayer team, and man, this woman was so tormented. Um, She was trapped in crippling fear, depression. She had this nonstop headache. Life circumstances had, had beat her up. Sin against her had beat her up. Lies had beat her up. But you know who was right there to take advantage of her being beat up? The devil was right there to take advantage of her being beat up. And she wasn't even sure what to call it. But as the ladies began to pray for her, they realized, man, it was obviously demonic. She had been tormented for three years straight. See, the devil is a squatter, which means he squats on any place that is, uh, there, where there is weakness in order to try to make himself stronger. Imagine this. I want to arm wrestle a bodybuilder, except the bodybuilder has a broken arm and a dislocated shoulder. I'm going to whoop that dude, right? Right? Y'all going to be like, Dom, you're so strong. My power is going to seem more powerful than it is. But all I was doing was capitalizing on his weakness, taking, taking advantage of his weakness. In the life of the Christian, Satan has no authority, and so he has to look for opportunity. Hear me when I say this. Christian, in your life, Satan has no authority, but he will look and does look for opportunity. In the life of the Christian, he doesn't get to just come and knock the door down to get into your life. Now, if you're not a child of God, he does that anytime he wants. But in the life of the Christian, he doesn't get to just come knock doors down and come inside, but he will walk through any open door that we give him. Demons are like sin. Hear this. Demons are like sin in the life of the Christian. The Bible tells us that sin has no authority in the life of the Christian. You are victorious over sin, except all of us have experienced sin. The not victory of sin or us over sin in our lives. It seems like sin is victorious over us. It's because we've given it a place. It's the same way with demons. They have no authority or power over the Christian, but they will take whatever place and opportunity we give them, and they'll wreak havoc. How do we give them a place? A few ways. Number one, by believing lies. The Bible says that Satan is a liar, the father of lies. Lies are his realm. And so when Little tiny things start being whispered and know that they'll be whispered, not yelled. So they're a lot harder to discern. Start being whispered lies against even little things like me and my wife. God saying something about, nah, she doesn't love you or whatever, right? Lies being whispered. No, 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 you don't have victory over that sin, dude. Nah, you're no, you're not, you don't have that gift, right? Little tiny lies. And I'm like, oh, it's just me being self-conscious. No, nah, that's a lie because God says otherwise about me. When we give in to lies, that's Satan's realm because he's the father of lies, Another way that we open the door is by little compromises and big rebellions. In 1 Samuel 15, it says that rebellion against God is as the sin of witchcraft, which is Satan's realm. It gives him an open door. Another way is in Ephesians 5, it tells us that bitterness and anger and resentment give a physical geographical location. The Greek word is topos, like topography. A topos, a geographical, like a... A plate, a physical place in the life of the Christian. And in my experience, the, the enemy loves to squat on my, my weariness, my exhaustion, and my discouragement, my hurt. He's a squatter, and so he will squat on whatever opportunity he sees. We are in a battle kingdom kid, and if we don't fight with the right weapons and appropriate the promises of God to our situations, then we can get beat up pretty bad. But it isn't because Jesus isn't victorious over the enemy. It's because we haven't given, we have given the enemy an open door, or we have not appropriated the promises and the truth and the power of Christ to our lives, or because he's simply just squatting on weakness or opportunity. However, net, net, Bottom line, Jesus is far above every authority, power, and dominion. And he is, as it says, far above every rule. We'll see in a minute, this means every origin. Paul started off by saying that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he is far above every rule. Jesus is far above every rule, literally every beginning. The CSB uses the word ruler, um, probably a lot of your translations use the word rule. He's, a, he's above every rule, which is closer because it's referring to supremacy here. Not a ruler, but the rule of uh, some kind of dictator or a king or a, a ruler. But the Greek word is actually a lot deeper than this. The, the Greek word is this word archaic, as in archaic. As we know, archaic means like really, really old. It means like way back then, way back in the beginning. The literal translation of this word that's translated rule in our Bibles is the Greek word "arche." It means the beginning, literally the beginning or the origin. It's the same word that John uses when he says, in the beginning, in the arche was the word. It means that which is first and is therefore chief which is why it translates to rule in the English a lot of times. It's talking about that which is preeminent and therefore has authority or rule. That was that which was at the beginning. But it's talking about power that exists specifically because of its preeminence. We might call it the root or the origin. The literal word means the beginning. And we know about this, right? We know about root things that have power. In our lives, because how much time do we spend trying to get to the bottom of things? How much time do we spend trying to get to the root of things? Let's take my physical health for an example. Four and a half, five years ago, all of a sudden I woke up one day and I could barely walk. I was so exhausted. Went to the gym. I was 70% had the strength that I had two days before. What had happened was my adrenal glands crashed because I was under such chronic stress acute stress and ongoing stress, and then uh, my metabolism got deranged, and then my thyroid function stopped working, Uh, low body temperature, all of these like things, right, anxiety because my adrenal glands weren't working properly. I was experiencing all of these symptoms, and so I went to the doctors, and they were like, here's some meds. Let's try to like fix the symptoms. and try to like make up for all the lack that you're feeling, and I was like, I don't want pharmaceuticals to meet the symptoms. I want to know what the heck's wrong with my body, like, what's the root? Where's the, I'm the kind of guy that's like, tell me why. Tell me, and then fix the why. And my doctors couldn't, so I was like, maybe a naturopath. So I went to a naturopath, and they were like, oh, well, this is why. And then that's when they began to tell me, oh, it's your adrenal gains. It's your thyroid function. So they started trying to fix all that stuff that was causing the symptoms, right? And then uh, two years of that went by, and I still, it was still having symptoms. And finally, I found this doctor in Utah who was incredible, and he explained my health to me like this. He said, Dom, um, he didn't call me Dom. He said, Dominic, imagine your health like a river. And downstream are fish, and they're getting sick, and they're dying. They're sick. And so in the medical world, we try to, we try to treat them. We try to give pharmaceuticals. We try to try to meet the, i got to help these fish not die anymore. And then the naturopathic world is a little further upstream, right? They say, okay, but why are the fish getting sick? Oh, there's oil in the river. If we can clean out the oil then we can fix the, the problem of the fish getting sick and dying. And he's like, Dominic, but here's the problem. Where'd the oil come from? You got to go further upstream. What you don't see is that there's a barge in your river. You got to go as deep as you can, deep to the root and in the physical body, as deep as you can go is the cell. And so his thing is like, fix the cell and you'll feel well. Right, And if we, can, if we can get the barge out of the river, then there won't be any oil in the river. And if there's no oil in the river, then the fish will stop being sick and stop dying. And so for two years, we've been working on getting the barge out of the river. But barges are big. And they're like, they've are like they been there for a long time, my whole life probably. And so it takes a long time. And it's probably going to be another year until I know if the barge getting out actually affected the, the fish dying downstream. Right, I'm trying to get to the root. If we can just get to the root and uproot the thing. Then all the other symptoms, all the fruit that's coming from the root will get away if I can just get to the root. And we do the same thing with emotional pain. That's how we approach it, and we should, right? If I can just get to the root. We do that with div- uh, marriages on the brink of divorce. If, guys, if we can just figure out where we went wrong, if we can just go back and figure out where we went wrong, then maybe we can fix this marriage again. We do that with addiction and bad cycles in our lives. If I can find the root, maybe there was some root trauma. And if I can get back to the root trauma and heal it, then maybe I can get free from being trapped in this bondage in the first place. we got to find the root because there was somewhere that it started, right? It started at some root. There was some root situation, and that root is now producing fruit in my life that I'm seeing. There was an origin. There was an RK. There was a beginning if I can just find it. This passage is telling us that God rose Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand far above every root. The the Greek word arche, how come nobody's excited about this? (laughs) High above every root, every cause, every origin, which means that every root does not have authority over me because Jesus has authority over it. Amen. It doesn't matter what was at the beginning. It doesn't matter what was preeminent. It doesn't matter where it started because there was somebody before it. In for, in John 1, John uses this exact same Greek word, same tense and everything. In the beginning In the archae, in the root, in the origin, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Somebody tell me who it's talking about. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the RK. Jesus is the root. He is the preeminent one. The root cause does not have preeminence because Jesus is the preeminence. Which means that even though, even if I can't find the root and fix the root, that I can still call on Jesus who was far above every root and was long before every root. And maybe today for some of us who are looking for the root, what if I could just get to the bottom of this? Maybe Jesus doesn't want you to find the root Maybe he wants you to know that you're already risen with him above the root. And then Paul continues and actually repeats himself here, which is not common in in ancient writings. Whenever you see something repeated, it's like as if it was underlined or bolded. He repeats himself five words later, right? He starts off by saying, Jesus is far above every, that's the word he's going to repeat, every rule, authority, power, and dominion. And then he repeats the word to emphasize it, and Every title. In other words, church, in case you forgot the scope of this sovereignty of Jesus, let me remind you that he is also over every, says the word again, every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Most translations here use this word name, that Jesus is over um, every name instead of title, which is a little clearer than the CSB here. It's saying that Jesus is far above every name. Um, In Hebrew culture, a lot of you might know this, but a name is inseparable from the person that the name belongs to. It carries their essence. And so when we pray, for instance, in Jesus' name, that's not just a cute phrase that we tag on the end of stuff that we hope has some magical power. We're actually praying according to the character of Jesus. It's not just the words J-E-S-U-S, Right? It is the character of Jesus. The name is the manifestation and revelation of the person's character. In other words, the name carries weight. The name of Jesus carries weight. And the name of Satan carries weight. Because the name represents the essence of whatever or whoever is being named. But those two names do not carry the same weight. Jesus is far above every name, and everything that every name represents, which means that names don't carry the same weight in the presence of Jesus. Titles don't carry the same weight in the presence of Jesus. Labels don't carry the same weight in the presence of Jesus. Jesus has all authority and is far above every name, title, and label, and everything that those titles Labels and names represent and everything they carry with them. And guys, this is good news for us. And here's why. Statistics show that one out of every two of us is going to get cancer before we die. That's a heavy, daunting statistic. And cancer has gotten so heavy in our culture, people have stopped even saying the word. If you go to the doctor and you come back and you say... The doctor used the C word. You know exactly what that means, right? The C word carries weight. But we act and treat the name of cancer, I'm going to say it, the name of cancer like it carries more weight than the name of Jesus. It would do us, us some good to learn something from the demons who shudder at the name of Jesus. When was the last time we our hearts skipped a beat, for good or bad, when we heard the name of Jesus? Guys, we have forgotten the power of his name. When we hear the name of cancer, we shudder, but we have forgotten its place in the pecking order. Cancer bows to the name of Jesus, as does every single other name. I told you about this woman who showed up just tormented last week and totally unaware that it was because of demons. And that's often the case in America. Our friends from Tanzania have been missionaries over there forever. They're constantly dealing with demonized people. And it's very obvious, right? It's lots of witches and witchcrafts and witch doctors. It's very—people are manifesting. You can see it physically. They came to America and stayed over six months one time, years ago. And they said, Dom, I have never in my life seen so many people with demons. Demons. Ever. And i have lived, lived in Africa for 30 years. There were so many demonized people here. But it's all subverted. It's like so subversive and under the radar. It just looks like that. It looks like that. Listen, Satan doesn't need fame. He doesn't need like an acknowledgement of, oh, look, he's manifesting. As long as he can keep people trapped. As long as he can be, keep people trapped. And so this woman had no idea. She had no idea that it was demonic. But it was very obvious once they began to pray for her that there was demons And as they began to pray, they realized, man, this depression, there's a demon carrying the same name. These lies, there's a demon carrying the same name in those lies. The fear, there's a, a demon carrying that same name. And as they begin to call out those names in the name of Jesus and tell the demons to come out and get off and leave, you know what happens? In 10 minutes, the woman got set free. She started screaming. She, was, she even Her eyesight changed. It was crazy. Her eyesight changed. She was like, ah, you look different. Everything's different. I've had a headache for three years. It's gone. I've been depressed for three years. It's gone. My crippling fear, it's gone. In the name of Jesus, his name is above the name of depression, above the name of fear, above the name of darkness, above the name of some headache. Now listen, your headache's not always because of demons. Sometimes it's because you're eating too much gluten and sugar and your pathways and your receptors in your brain are inflamed. But sometimes, sometimes it might be demonic. And they spoke the name of Jesus and everything left. And everything changed. It is at the name of Jesus, church, that every knee will bow. And it is at the name of Jesus that every other name, title, and label bows. Which means that my diagnosis from my doctor doesn't have to dictate my joy. Because the diagnosis doesn't have authority over my joy. Jesus has authority over my joy. Yeah, we can clap. Y'all remember in, in John chapter 11... Martha sends word to Jesus. Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick and he's dying. Remember what Jesus said? Paraphrase. Martha, send word back to Martha. Martha, who gave you that diagnosis? Who told you that? I love Dr. So and so. But Dr. So-and-so's name doesn't mean anything to me. Dr. So-and-so is not God. I am God. And what I'm saying, Martha, is that this sickness is not going to end in death. Two days later, uh, Jesus, Lazarus is dead. Didn't phase him though, right? Martha, he says... Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Yeah, Lord, but he's dead. Last week, I believed you for last week's problems when it was just sickness. I believe you got victory over that name, Jesus. But this week, for this week's problem... I'm not sure that you have victory over the name of death. Death is final, Jesus. But how many names does Paul say that Jesus is far above? Let's read it again. I need to remember. Far above every ruler and authority, power, and dominion. And say it. Oh, my good God. How many names? Every name, church. He's above every single name. But Lord Lazarus is dead. I don't care about death. Don't tell me about death. I'm Jesus. Jesus. I speak a word and stuff is created into existence. I speak a word and mountains just dis- dissipate. I speak a word and situations are changed. Don't tell me about death. Like he told Job in Job 38, where were you, dude, when I formed the entire earth? Where were you when I told the waves how far they could come and how, where they needed to stop on the shore? Where were you? Where was your diagnosis when I was putting the stars in their place and giving them each a name. Don't tell me about death. Don't tell me about death. Listen, I'm not trying to dog on doctors or medicine. I'm extremely thankful for doctors in my life. They are a gift from God, but I am saying that we need to stop giving so much weight to the name of the PhD and start remembering the name of the G-O-D, right? Some of us are so consumed with our sickness that we've forgotten the Savior, so concerned with the situation and its potential temporal outcome that we have forgotten our position and our guaranteed eternal outcome. Martha, don't tell me about death. I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come forth. Guys, we can't lose sight of who's really on the throne. There is no name that Jesus is subject to. And Christian, you are a kingdom kid in the kingdom of your father. You're seated with Jesus high above all principalities and powers and authorities and dominions and names. All things are subject to him. Only Jesus is final. And it doesn't matter what word was spoken to you, what diagnosis was given to you, or what label was put on you. Jesus is the living Name, the living word. He is the reversing diagnosis, which means that cancer doesn't have the power. Jesus has the power. Lyme disease doesn't have the authority. Alcoholism, drug addiction, your pornography addiction, your betrayal, your depression, your anxiety and fear, it doesn't have the authority. Jesus has the authority. Some of us have let names rise like a banner that's waving over us. And dictating our identity and defining us for years. But every label submits to the name of Jesus. Titles mean nothing to Jesus. Because for every destructive title or label, Jesus has a restorative promise and characteristic about himself to combat it. Right? Jesus has titles too. Jesus' title is Christ. Jesus' title is Savior from anything. Redeemer from anything. His title is Restorer of the Breach. His title is Healer of the Nations. His title is Hope to the Hopeless and Life for the Dying and Strength for the Broken and Truth in the Face of Lies, Light in the Face of Darkness and Love in the Face of Fear. That label that was put on you from somebody you respected or loved does not have the final say. Jesus has the final say. Somebody today needs to call on Jesus and remember that He is the one above all names. And remember who you are in him, the one above all names. Your story means something to Jesus, for sure. He cares about your story, but your conclusion of where your story has brought you does not have to define you. Rather, Jesus is using your story, your pain, your struggle to create something new in you and give you a new name. We are not defined by those other names. Jesus calls us by our true name. And what we've been learning in this series as Kingdom Kids is our name is beloved, accepted, powerful, child of God. Some of us have been walking around like we're just living on earth though, right? We're forgetting that we're at, our place is actually in heaven. We're actually living in heaven. We actually have a power and authority in Jesus. And this power and authority, it says at the end of our verse, has no end. Jesus is far above every name, both in this age and in the age to come. His power is now and it is forever. Jesus doesn't just have the power, he has the all power. And you need to know today, child of God, that your king is not fighting fr- for the victory. He is fighting from the victory. This is the last little section here. I'm about four minutes. Stick with me, this is important. It says there at the beginning. That Jesus has been seated at the right hand of the Father. You ever notice how Jesus is always sitting down? Like, is Jesus tired? Jesus needs a nap? No, Jesus doesn't need a nap. Jesus doesn't sleep or slumber. He's not sitting down because he is tired, he's sitting down because he is finished. You sit down when the work is done. His sitting down means that the war is over. He's already got the victory. And I kind of spoiled the surprise, but next chapter we're going to see that we are seated with him where he's got the victory and where we can also rest in that finished work. I remember the first time somebody told me, I was 18, 19 years old, first time somebody told me, hey Dom, you know that you don't have to do those things that you've been addicted to your entire life. You have a choice because Jesus already got you the victory. And they were right. I didn't know. Nobody ever told me, hey, dude, you don't have to do that. You have the power to choose to not do that. You don't have to do it. And so I didn't. I stopped. I stopped. The addiction was broken. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect, so I'm in glory. I'm still tempted. But finally, I, I realized I had the victory. I was a free child of God, and I started living like it. Christian, you need to know that not only do you have permission to not sin, you have the power to not sin. You have a choice. And for me, it was there all along. The victory was there all along. Finally, just somebody told me, and I finally chose to appropriate what was already true about me to my life. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified, that's death, with Christ, so that sin might lose its power In our lives, we are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Can somebody say this with me? I've got the victory. victory. Can we say it together? We've got the victory. victory. Can you just look at me and say, you've got the victory? victory. Yes, I do. I'm going to look at you and say, church, you have the victory. You've got the victory. The problem isn't that Jesus isn't risen from the dead. The problem is that we so often live like he's still in the grave. The problem isn't that our old man needs to be crucified. The problem is that we have forgotten that he already is. The problem is our lack of appropriation, not our struggle with the addiction. See, some of us are living like the addiction needs to be broken, but Jesus already broke it. Jesus already conquered sin. He already rose you above your struggles and your situation. You want to experience that? Start living, talking, thinking like Jesus already finished it. And not like you're still in the grave, still dead, still a slave to sin. So today, if you're not experiencing all those benefits of a freed child of God, seated in the heavenly places, high above every name and authority and dominion and power, if you're not living like that, if you're not experiencing that year in life, we've asked some people to be up here on the right and the left who just want to pray for you. Listen, they want to pray for you. They have the spirit of God. They have the power of God. They have the inside of God. And they're going to be up on the right and the left because they want to pray for you. There's some people here today who who you've forgotten that your physical ailment is a name that is submitted to the name of Jesus. Let's ask Jesus if he can manifest the power of his name over that sickness, whatever that name is. It doesn't have the power. Jesus has the power. Now, maybe he'll do it. Maybe he won't. But we need to ask him. Sometimes we don't have because we haven't asked yet. Some of you experience demonic stuff in your life. It's all right. You need to get freed. Don't leave today. You need to get freed. Jesus wants to set you free. There's addiction. Jesus wants to set you free. There's impossible situations. Jesus can meet those situations. There's a bleak diagnosis and hopelessness. You need faith to believe what is already true about Christ and about you. In Christ Today, there's going to be people up here on the right and the left. You need to come. Just ask them. Just say, will you pray with me? Will you come to the Father and pray like Jesus taught us to? We just sang it. Lord, would you let your kingdom come in my life in the same way it is in heaven? And here's how we teach our prayer team to pray. Lord, in heaven, there's no cancer. And you said to pray for the kingdom to come like it is in heaven. So we're asking. You said it, Lord. You said it, and so we're asking like that. Lord, in in heaven, there's no division. There is restoration of marriage. And you said to pray for the kingdom to come like it is in heaven. And so we're going to pray like that. Would you allow some people to pray for you today? Would you allow some people to pray for you and give God some space to move on your behalf? Let's pray. Jesus, you are in the heavens at the right hand of God, the place of all authority. And as one of your kids, I just say out loud what's already true in the unseen realms. That you, Jesus, have all authority over every single force of wickedness over every single name of disease, over every single title or label that is said, this is an endless, impossible situation. It's hopeless. You're high above that name, Lord. Declare that as truth today. We ask that you would manifest the reality of that on behalf of the lives of every single one of my brothers and sisters here today church I know for some of you you're having a hard time believing this I'm making it sound a lot easier than it is actually done you've got the victory but you, you're, you, you need faith to believe it Right? here's the good news you don't need big faith you just need a big God yeah. it's not the size of your faith it's the object of your faith Jesus said, you can have a little tiny bit of faith in a big old God. That's actually what I'm looking for. So direct your faith toward him today. If you need help, prayer team is here to help you. If you need to come and lay your stuff down at the feet of Jesus, remember that he's exalted. I would encourage you to get on your knees where you're at. Or if you don't want to get on the hard carpet or the hard concrete, come and get on the soft carpets and get on your knees or get straight on your face, it'll help you remember Jesus is above, right? He's above you and your life and everything that your life consists of. I'm gonna sing this song right now. It's called Victory is Yours. And here's what I I want you to do. Um, I want you to just like still, if if you have to go to the bathroom, can you just wait four minutes? Don't even get up to come pray or take communion yet. During this first song, just let the team here Sing this as truth over you So don't even even sing The lyrics are going to be up on screen But just read them And just ingest them Don't open your mouth Just open your heart And receive Receive the truth of this Let it be sung over you And then respond to it In the following songs Come get prayer Come get on the carpets Come take communion And remember the finished work Of Jesus That he not only died But rose again